going to talk about Jesus this morning and for the next two uh, Sundays in a row. And uh, I have some things about his nature that he's been sharing with me that I want to share with you guys. Um, and I'm going to get to it, but uh, beforehand, it, a lot of times during worship, the Lord will drop in my spirit some things that he wants me to say first. And he kept talking, and I was like, Jesus, I'm not going to be able to get to my sermon. Can I just preach my sermon? He said, you can if you want to operate in witchcraft, Jeremy. <laughs> I was like, whoa, you seem pretty serious about that, Jesus. He's like, yeah, if you, if you operate in a gift outside of your relationship with the giver, then you're getting into heaven through ways other than Jesus. Oh. And he's, he's the gate. And if you get into the heavens by any other way, then you're a thief. And I was like, well, I'll do what you say then, Lord. Because <laughs> I do not want to turn into a witch. <laughs> um, one thing, uh, I, f- I felt like the Lord wanted us to, uh, to know that um, He doesn't just live in our heart. He has become our heart. And a lot of us um, have felt really disconnected from Him have felt really tired, and, um, and he says it's, uh, it's because we've been treating our hearts poorly. And he said, if you'd begin to minister to your heart again and do the things that you love, you would minister to me, and you would feel my closeness, because he is your heart. Uh, <clears throat> something else he said, um, during a, when, when Jared was leading the song, Nothing But the Blood, he took me to his body on the cross, and I was like, this is going to mess me up beyond being able to speak, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and I asked him to show me uh, what part of his body I was. And, uh, and he took me uh, inside his wound, the, the wound in his side, and I, and I just zipped into that, that wound, and he took me to his heart. And I was like, no, Jesus, I'm not your heart. He's like, yeah, you are. You've become my heart. And uh, I, I double dog dare you guys to do that. To ask him to take you to the cross. And then ask him what part of his body you are. It'll mess you up. <clears throat> and then uh, I was sitting down and, and I looked down at my mic. And I was planning on uh, preaching out of Colossians 2. 10, where it talks about the deity of Jesus, that he, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And uh, I looked down at my mic, and uh, it actually says uh, 2.10 on it, which is the exact scripture reference that I was going to preach out of today. And it's really nice when the Lord um, confirms things like that, because I don't know about you guys, I, I just doubt myself a lot, <laughs> doubt being able to hear the voice of God. And uh, it's always good when he confirms it. Um, I've been in a, a time of encounter uh, the last week or so. He's just been, he's been wrecking me with his presence and reminding me that he's for me and not against me. That he's, he's really, really good. That he believes in me. And uh, he's got my back when I don't know what to do. And uh, it's the same for all of us. He's got our back when we don't know what to do. Um, uh, I began singing the song during worship to the Lord. I said, free us. 
free us from the poverty of begging for all the things we've already been given. And uh, it was messing me up, you know, because we, we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy asking God for things that he's, he's already given to us because we're his sons and daughters. And he's showing me that um, the enemy can so easily just have us crippled and, and useless if he can just convince us that we have to ask for the things that are already ours. So we, we won't go out and, and actually be Jesus on the earth if we think that we have to wait for some download if we have to wait for some kind of outpouring, if we have to wait when it's already been given. And uh, the enemy, that way, I mean, he has us right where he wants us if we're asking for the things that we already have. And, uh, and so we're going to break that today. And we're, uh, we're going to minister to our own hearts today, and thereby ministering to the Lord and feeling his closeness again. About six months ago, uh, we talked about the nature of Jesus, and it was really fun. And I'm going to give a little bit of a recap of his nature. And the Lord uh, gave me kind of a framework for what we're going to do uh, today and, and the next two Sundays. He said, talk about my nature, and then talk about my works, and then talk about my legacy. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of Jesus Matthew uh, Esquivel one time said, Jesus took on the nature of man so that man can take on the nature of God. Well, yeah, it's really good. I mean, there's volumes that could be written on that one subject right there. The divine transfer that's happened when, when we gave him our heart and he gave us his. Um, and to sum up you know, what we believe in, in this church about who Jesus is, uh, it's pretty much one sentence. Jesus was and is fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Meaning Jesus isn't like 60% God and 40% man. There's not like a 70-30 split. He is 100% God all the time and he is 100% man all the time. And I know that this might be, you know, uh, elementary level for, for some of us, but I want to drive this home because it is going to be a point of contention in the days to come, and there will be, you know, a whole lot of great sounding teachings that will actually lead us astray into believing that Jesus isn't fully deity. And there will be tons of great sounding teachings coming in the future that will make us, or try to make us believe that Jesus wasn't fully man and thereby emptying the, the importance of what he did for us and what he, his inheritance towards us is. And so, um, I'm actually today going to spend more time on uh, his humanity because I don't think a lot of us in here have trouble believing that he's divine. Right? I mean, he's... He's God. I mean, what, what kind of man can uh, walk on water, walk through walls, forgive sins, multiply food, and raise himself from the dead, you know, by his own power? Jesus was the guy that said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll, re I'll rebuild it. He said, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it up again. There's, 
No man can make that claim. He's, I mean, he's divine. He also uh, goes by the, the name Son of Man, which is um, him f- fulfilling a prophecy out of Daniel 7, where Daniel said that there would be uh, one like this, the Son of Man, and he would be the ruler of a kingdom that would never pass away. All nations and all languages, all peoples would serve him. And so Jesus is coming, and, and, and he says... He kept using that term, son of man. And he even said, uh, before Abraham was, I am. That really enraged the Pharisees and teachers of the law around him because he was using a name that was only attributed to Yahweh. I am. And so, um, what today I do want to focus on is, uh, on his humanity because when we, uh, when we start to see how human he is, it will activate things inside of us where we'll believe the identity that he's placed in us and we'll be able to begin to do the things that he did. Have as much joy as he had. He was anointed with the oil of joy above all of his companions. You know, it says that he was um, acquainted with sorrow. That's out of Isaiah 53. And the Lord said, yeah, I'm acquainted with him, but I'm a friend of joy. There's a difference between acquaintances and friends, right? Jesus is like, yeah, I know sorrow. I mean, he's an acquaintance, but joy is my best friend. Joy is my best friend. (laughs) Um, There were times when Jesus related with us and with the Father in ways where it seemed like he was very much one of us. And we, we, we could see like, okay, He's human. He's a dude. And, uh, but there were also times when he act, interacted with us where it seemed certain that he was nothing like us. Like, this guy is completely otherly, otherworldly. I've got nothing on him. You know, I, I, I don't know how to be like him. And, um, and we're going to go through some of these scriptures today, but I want to first ask questions like this. How can God grow weary? How can a God grow hungry? How can he need to rest? How can he pray in the garden, Father, if there's any way for this cup of suffering to pass from me, let it pass from me. But even so, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, these are great mysteries. But conversely, how can, how can a man walk on water? How can he defy the laws of physics? How can he heal the nobleman's son from a long distance with just one word? How can a man do those sorts of things? He's got to be a God. And any, de- any deviation from the, the belief that he is both fully God and fully man can really quickly lead to a derailment of our faith. And we'll be worshiping a God that doesn't exist. We'll be following, we might end up following a God that we've made in our own image. And so, um, there's some weighty things today, but we're also going to have some fun. The Lord showed me back in the garden, actually before the garden, uh, he said, let us make man in our image. And uh, he didn't say let me, 
make man in my image because he was he was hanging out, you know. He, he's got communion with the, the Trinity, the God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were all there. And so this, they said, he said, let us make man in our image. And so that made me uh, start to think, uh, there's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and man's kind of got this inner Trinity thing going on. We've got the, the body, the soul, and the spirit, right? And I was wondering, you know, maybe, maybe we were made in Jesus' image, like in his body. And we were made like the Father in our soul, and we were made like the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our spirit. Because we look like Jesus, we move like the Spirit, and we rule like the Father. Sure. So, um, Jesus had to be fully man. Not only that, he had to have some way that we would believe that he was man, because if he just, like, descended from heaven, <laughs> you know, like, Loki or something, if he just, like, <laughs> appeared in glorious splendor, and then, you know, we're supposed to believe that he's a man? No. No, dude. We saw you descend from heaven. Like, you are God. You are not like me. But at the same time, uh, we, we had to... Um, we had to believe that he was fully God. And, and so, um, he had to come in some way that is completely original. Something that's never been seen before. And that's the virgin birth. The virgin conception. Um, that's the only way that we would be able to believe that this guy is 100% man, yet still 100% God. And it's actually the only way that he could have uh, the nature of man, but not the nature of sin. Because that sin nature is passed down through our earthly lineage. But it was cut off because Mary was conceived under the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? Okay, this is elementary stuff, but we're going to get deep. Jesus had human weaknesses and limitations, just like us. He was born just like us, just like every other baby. And he grew. Luke 2.40 says that he actually grew. And Luke 2.42 says that he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor before God and before man. And that, to me, is mind-boggling. How can God grow in favor before God? How can he grow in wisdom before God? It also says in uh, John 4, 6 that Jesus became weary. He sat down beside the well. He got thirsty on the cross. After fasting for 40 days, he was hungry, right? Wouldn't you be? <laughs> After 40 days, he was actually so hungry, uh, it got to the point where angels came to minister to him, to restore him. He was like on the verge of death just like any of us would be. He had physical limits. Jesus couldn't even carry his own cross. So why are you expecting that you have to carry your own cross?
If the Son of Man needed help from Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross and complete his destiny, what makes you think you can do it alone? Lord, I ask you to release brotherhood and sisterhood in here. God, that you'd bring us our Simons. I looked up what Simon meant. It actually means word or word of God. He was carried under that cross by the word of God. <clears throat> when he cried out, it's finished, and breathed his last, he died. Just like one of us, if we breathed our last, our body would cease to function. And that wonderful man's body was carried to a tomb after being prepared and buried. But he rose from the dead and he was still in a physical body. Isn't that crazy? He still had that human body. I mean, it was, it was made perfect. It was no longer subject to weakness and disease and death. But he kept that body. Isn't that crazy? It says in Philippians that he was in, the, he was in the presence of the Lord. I mean, he was in perfect communion with his homies, the, the angels. And, you know, and <laughs> he, was in, he was in the essence of beauty. And yet, uh, you know, he became a man, became obedient to death, death on a cross. Um, why wouldn't he just go back to, you know, let's ditch that body thing? Why do you think that is? You know, um, he actually made sure to make a point of this in Scripture. He really, he really wanted us to understand that he's still in that body. In Luke 24, 39, he had his disciples touch him. And he says, see, a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. And the Bible uh, makes, makes sure to mention that he ate fish. Yeah. I've never seen a spirit eat fish, have you? <laughs> He's still out of body, which is great news because I love eating. I can't wait to get to heaven and eat that food. <laughs> We're going to have redeemed taste buds that are just going like, to like explode at every flavor. It's going to be wonderful. That feast, oh. But I was, I couldn't figure it out though, like, why Jesus, you know, made such a, uh, an effort to make sure that we knew that he kept that body. And uh, so, you know, I was asking him for a while, and one day he said, um, I couldn't wait to get my human body. I'm never going to give it up. He said, the Father designed the human body so well that it is the greatest place in the universe to experience His love. So there's no greater place to encounter God the Father other than the body that you were born in. 
He so perfectly designed your heart and your mind and every sensation that you feel. They were all designed to be able to stand up under the weight of his glory. This is the voice that shatters cedars. When this voice speaks, it twists up the oaks. When this voice speaks, every pregnant calf gives birth. <laughs> but when he speaks to you, you do not shatter, you do not twist, you endure it. And you stand under that weight as if every atom in your body is trying to break out in every direction. And yet you endure because he designed you perfectly. Jesus is like, I'm not giving this thing up. <laughs> Jesus increased in wisdom, like I said, in Luke 2.52, in stature and in favor. And I, I, I couldn't... I couldn't figure this one out for, for quite a while. So I, just, I started looking up the, the meanings of this, these words. And wisdom um, boils down to this. Wisdom is skill at living. Wisdom isn't intelligence. Wisdom is skill at living through experience, through trial and error. Which means, obviously, Jesus never sinned. But he had to learn how to live effectively. He had to learn, uh, you know, table manners, not to spill his milk, not to trip when he fell, how to tie his shoe. They don't have shoelaces. They had <laughs> straps on the thongs. <laughs> they, he had to learn these things, just like we do. You know, it's quite possible as a, as a carpenter or a worker of stone that he may have hit his thumb with a hammer. And learned that he didn't want to do that again. And so he got a lot better at striking the nail right on the head. These are things that we have to learn. It's not sinning to make mistakes. It's not sinning to be immature. It's not a sin to be immature. I've never looked at my growing children, my son or my daughter, and, and said to him, I can't believe you can't run yet. <laughs> you bring me no honor. <laughs> <laughs> you know they, and they're clumsy and they're bumbling and they're learning how to live and I love them so much I don't know if I could love them more my heart swells with joy when I see them make mistakes I just love them I'm not like longing for them to turn into teenagers by God I'm like <laughs> <laughs> You know, he loves you right where you're at. Immaturity is not sin. He maybe even chewed with his mouth open until his mom told him not to. You know? Okay, so he grew in wisdom. He also grew in stature. Stature is a degree of development attained. Or like a physical height or a level of achievement, it can also mean a promotion. So he increased in these things before God and man. Which means that as he grew, and as he became more effective at living, he was given more responsibilities. Isn't that cool? 
He also grew in favor. A favor is a, is a big subject. It's one of my favorites. But um, <laughs> um, favor is not love, because uh, you, you can't cause God to love you more or less. Um, but it's obvious in Scripture that because of things like friendship with God or intimacy with God or devotion to God, there are certain people that can actually move his heart and hand more than others. They have more influence because they're the people that snuggle up underneath his arm and get to know him. That's favor. You, you get to know the Lord. You, you be the one where he, you let him know you. Oh, Whew, that is important. You know, when, when uh, those, uh, I can't even remember the scripture, it just left my head, but those people stand before the Lord and they say, uh, you know, Lord, we've cast out devils in your name, raised the dead in your name, healed the sick in your name. The Lord will say, he, he doesn't say this, you didn't know me. He says this, depart from me because I don't know you. They're the ones that wouldn't give the Lord the secrets of their heart. They're the ones that wouldn't open themselves up. They lived their lives with veils before God because they felt unworthy or, or whatever. The pride of man or thinking that they're too screwed up to let God see what's really going on. Did you know that we have the right to conceal our hearts from God? It's the only thing in the universe that he doesn't own right on the spot. You have to give it to him. And if you keep that right from keeping him out of your heart, he won't know you. Now, he knows everything that's inside a man's heart, but that doesn't mean that he knows the man, that he's been letting, that the man has let him, himself be known to God. <laughs> no, that's right. Depart from me because I didn't know you. You can do a lot of studying and get to know the Lord, but it's real important that he gets to know you. Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. That's a happy verse. <laughs> so he learned obedience. We'll just move on from there. <laughs> um, I mentioned this earlier, but Philippians 2.6, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Um, this verse has actually given way to a, uh, a heresy um, where people misinterpret it and, and say that Jesus gave up his deity. That's not actually what it's saying. This poem is saying that Jesus gave up some of the privileges of being in that place in heaven. He gave up some of the privileges, but not his nature. Meaning, uh, he wasn't necessarily all the time all-knowing when he was in a body. Prove it, Jeremy. Okay. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus said, he felt virtue leave him, and he said, who was it that touched me? 
he had a hunch. <laughs> what about uh, not even knowing the date of his own return? That's, woo, that's mystical right there. But Jesus says in Mark 13, 32, he doesn't even know. So if you want to know, you've got to ask the Father. Don't ask Jesus. <laughs> Guys, I hope you know that I have so much reverence for this man, Jesus Christ. He is God. He is God. But what, what I'm trying to do today is talk about who he really is in his nature as both man and God. Because when we start to see the things that uh, he dealt with are a lot like the things that we deal with, we can start to see that the way he overcame is the way that we overcome. He was tempted in every way, guys. That would be rough. He was tempted in every way, every scheme, every lust, every, uh, every moment of, of uh, giving in to greed or taking the easy way out was presented to him. He was tempted in every single way and yet never sinned. That way, we have a very, very sympathetic high priest that whenever we come to him with any kind of struggle, he can say, yeah. That does stink. I've been there. Seriously. If you go to him and say, I'm struggling, he's like, what? You're not supposed to struggle. Don't you know you're a new creation? <laughs> he says, yeah, I've been there. It's rough. Here's the way out. He also, uh, he showed that he wasn't always omnipotent or all-powerful. Meaning, uh, there's one time he didn't heal someone with one word. He healed someone with, you know, several attempts. Right? This is good news. We can grow into these things. He also gave up the privilege of being uh, omnipresent or everywhere all at once because he's in one body. Okay? The Spirit's everywhere. God the Father dwells everything. The universe is held up by the power of his word, but Jesus has a body. Yeah. Guys, this is great news because it means that our nature and our abilities are not the same thing. It means that if we are not fully functioning as sons of God, it does not mean that we are not sons of God, but we're on a journey of obedience through suffering. Holy Spirit. I'm going to camp out on uh, one of my favorite verses. It's when the centurion comes up to Jesus and he says to him, Lord, my servant lies at home and he's suffering terribly you know, would you come heal him? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll heal him. But he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come underneath my roof, but only say the word and I know that he will be healed because I too am a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to this one, come, and he comes. I say to this guy, do this, and he does it. So Jesus marveled. He was like, 
guys, you ch check out this centurion. And he's talking to, you know, his disciples now, like, I haven't found such great faith in you guys or any of Israel. But this Roman here gets it. Jesus is impressed by a man. Do you know that you can impress him? He can marvel at you. He can be like, oh, Drake, are you kidding me? Dude, that was awesome. I've seen a lot of things. I've never seen that. <laughs> Seriously, you can do things that impress him. It's in the Bible. <laughs> People nearest to Jesus only saw him as a man as well. Jesus came into Nazareth, Nazareth and couldn't do many miracles because of their unbelief. It's because they knew him as just the carpenter's son. Like, this is the kid that grew up, you know, was, he was on the high school football team, made all those mistakes. No, I'm just kidding. Like, he, we know this guy from birth. We saw him spill his goat milk, you know? <laughs> Who does he think he is, you know, coming back to his hometown, pretending to be a prophet and healing people? <laughs> they said, where did this man get all this? Even his brothers didn't believe in him. It means that he was so fully human that even those who grew up with him, that were around him, didn't really get it. For 30 years, they didn't realize that he was anything more than a very good man. Some of them apparently had no idea that he was God. That's what it's like to be fully man and fully God. It must have been rough for him. Think of it. All the times when he was betrayed, misunderstood. Every time people thought he was being some conceited guy thinking that he could do these crazy things. He faced every one of those days for you. And he knew the cost before he came. He was, he was up with the Father strategizing about how to ransom you. And what he... What they came up with is you're going to have to pay the price that they don't know how to pay, that they could never pay. And so he pulled out a picture of, of Crystal Stanley and said, how much do I have to pay for her? And he saw all the times he'd be misunderstood, all the times he'd be betrayed, all the times he would face emotional and physical pain. He saw every single time that he would be, every single lash on his back, every piece of flesh that would fly off, every time they would try to stone him and he'd have to disappear, every time they would put that crown of thorns, every thorn that pierced through his head, he saw every single moment of pain that it would cost him to get Crystal Stanley. And he said... Anything for Crystal. Put the nails through me. I want her. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. He'll do anything for you. He'll do anything for you. <laughs>